0: Welcome to Capital Stories. In this podcast, we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. It's Eric. I'm here with Tara. And this coming Sunday, November 7th, 2021 is Orphan Sunday.
1: This is a day where Christians around the globe annually celebrate the love of the God who defends the fatherless, and, and he calls us to do the same. In mm-hmm. fact, it's we hope you stay tuned in because we get to learn about how orphans are talked about often in the Bible in terms of the structure of the church and just in general about how we as a people of God come alongside this population. So in recognition of Orphan Sunday, we want to spend an episode, a couple of episodes actually, talking about the issue. And so today we're going to talk to two folks. First, Amy King, who is the founder of the For the Orphan Network. She spent the last couple of decades in the ministry of advocating and serving vulnerable children and building resources for this population. So she has a credibility to educate us on the ins and outs Mm -hmm. of um, the issues that this population Faces, and we're also going to talk to Sarah Swaden. Yes. Sarah is an incredible volunteer at Capital who coordinates our Care Portal ministry that also serves families in need, vulnerable families. So you're going to hear more about her story in this
0: episode and as we're well. Excited for you to listen. So, without more of an introduction, here hmm. is Amy and Sarah on Capital Stories.
1: So I am excited to be here with Amy King. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) And Sarah Swaden. Hi. Good morning. And we are going to talk today on one of our collective favorite topics, which is orphaned and vulnerable children and how we get the opportunity, have had the the opportunity to step into that space and bless and be blessed uh, by those families in our community. But I want to start by painting the picture. When we say the words orphan, our mind goes somewhere. When we say the word vulnerable children, our mind goes somewhere. Um, So I just want to start by painting the picture of what does that mean? And what does that look like in our community to help us kind of understand the state of kids in the foster care system? Maybe kids not in the foster care system, but that we would consider vulnerable. So you yeah, can help us kind of paint sure, that picture a little absolutely. bit of all
2: your decades of <laughs> living in statistics. I'll try. I'll try to, on the to ground. condense it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's. It- It's interesting because the the word orphan can be a little tricky um, because I think we automatically, our mindset just kind of goes to um, the kid in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't have orphanages. Right. right? And I actually get that question a lot. People will say, do we have orphanages in the United States? Mm -hmm. And I always just say, you know, we have the foster care system. That's really our kind of version of an orphanage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about a child being vulnerable. Children, by definition, are vulnerable, right? Like, just as a group, every child is vulnerable. They can't take care of themselves. They can't Mm -hmm. feed and clothe and, um, you know, provide safety for Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. But then there's kind of this next level of highly vulnerable children. And there's a lot of factors that can go into, you know, what constitutes a child that's vulnerable. A lot of it is when they come from cycles of things like um, cycle of poverty, cycle of homelessness. A lot of kids who are in foster care, um, their parents were in foster care. Um, and so a lot of vulnerability just comes from um, generational gener- issues of yep. poverty or um, and just trauma. La- lack of resources, uh, isolation, yeah. a father who's not in the picture. Yeah just many different factors mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. go into what you know constitutes a child that's vulnerable mm-hmm. and
1: how many kids are in like the let's say just the, the Utah
2: foster in care the Utah? system yeah um, so statistics are always changing yeah. so don't this might not be hard and fast but it's somewhere around 3,000 kids at any mm-hmm. one time will be be in the foster care system. Of course, mm-hmm. kids are always coming in, and then kids are always leaving too. But mm-hmm. about three thousand mm-hmm. kids in the state of Utah in the United States, it's about four hundred thousand, close to half a million kids. Has there been changes in in
1: because of the pandemic? Let's say, or um, over the last couple of years, that have really changed that those numbers?
2: Yeah, I mean that. The pandemic has had a huge impact. And the hard thing is, is, we because it's been such a short time, we don't really have hard data yet mm-hmm. on that impact. But things that we do know are, I think, nationally, um, the reporting of child abuse and neglect mm-hmm. went down because teachers are the number one reporter of child abuse or neglect. And so, kids were not in school. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... These teachers, who are, like I said, the number one reporters, were not able to, to observe. S- to see, this observe is, there's a right. problem here. And then you have, you know, so kids in homes that are quote unquote vulnerable. You know, we talk about vulnerable children, but also I just even talk about vulnerable families, just mm-hmm. families in general as mm-hmm. a whole mm-hmm. are vulnerable. You know, so you have. Um, you know, maybe a family that is lacking resources and then, you know, the pandemic hit and they've lost jobs or now they're having to work from home and trying to figure out how to juggle being a parent and things like that. And so you can imagine that when you kind of have a vulnerable family that the pandemic just heightened all of that. And so we don't, mm-hmm. as far as I know, we don't necessarily have any hard reports on, you know, the increase of, of child abuse, and neglect, because... We didn't have people seeing it. It was, yeah. you know, people were kind of, iso- obviously, people were isolated and yeah. trapped in their homes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the pandemic, and I think, you know, over the years, um, we'll understand more about what the pandemic really did in this kind of arena of, mm-hmm. of child welfare. Mm-hmm.
1: But are you seeing the
2: systems are overtaxed? I'm
1: sure the systems oh, are always overtaxed. Yeah. But- and also on the heels, or I should say on the heels, in the in the middle of the reality of the opioid crisis as yeah. well.
2: The opioid crisis um, was a huge factor in increase, I would say, over the last 10 years. It, it really correlated with, you know, like probably around 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. we started seeing the numbers go up in kids who are entering foster care at the right. same time we were seeing an increase in the opioid crisis so right. there was a direct
1: yeah the number of deaths of from yes. opioid overdose and yeah and,
2: and then and just drug use in, drug general, use in general. general yeah too amy thanks for defining
1: what vulnerable is and i love that you made the point of it's not just vulnerable children's vulnerable families And when we, as a church community, or as a community in general, try to support, we're not just saying, let's support that child. Let's support that family. Yeah, it has, it has to be. Then the idea behind foster care, which can be a misconception, is not, let's go, and this can be some Christian and American exceptionalism, of let's just get that child into a better home. Let's figure out how to keep that child in a home and make that a healthier home, for that child to be in exactly, yeah.
2: So and and that's always you know with foster care, the goal is always reunification,
1: right? Um, it's
2: not separation. It's how can right. we
1: reunify this into a healthier safe yes. home?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: So I just threw out the word foster care, yeah. and so let's talk about uh, or we we hear the acronym DCFS a lot, Department of Child and Family Services. Walk us through what the structure looks like, what foster what we mean, maybe when we say foster care, we can have some misconceptions there, or what we think of when we think of DCFS and what their role is in this process.
2: yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around, you know when we we just hear the word foster care, yeah. and our mind automatically just goes to negativity right. um and kind of just we don't know a lot about it, but you know, everything we kind of think is is bad. And so, Mm. um, you know, one of the huge misconceptions that I have found is that there are a lot of people that think that children go into foster care because of something they've done, because they're a delinquent child or a bad child. That's never the case. Um, Children are removed because of abuse or neglect. Mm. I talked about Teachers being the number one reporter. Anytime a call gets made to a Department of Child and Family Services, DCFS, and in different states it's called different things, Mm -hmm. um, but DCFS is kind of a common one. Anytime an allegation, you know, a a worry (laughs) from a teacher or a neighbor or a family member comes in, they are required to go out and investigate. Within a certain amount of time, depending on so
1: anybody can call, mm-hmm. and then someone has to go in to yeah. someone from DCFS would respond to that call, go in and assess
2: yes the allegation yes, and a lot of times they'll see neglect, but it's not intentional neglect. It's I don't know if this is an actual thing, but I made this word up. <laughs> I call it neglect out of poverty again, it's not intentional, but maybe the kids are sleeping on the floor. They don't have beds or kids are riding or f- enough food. Yes. Or, or kids are riding in the car without hygiene. car seats. Okay. So it's nothing that would warrant immediate removal, right? but it could be a red flag that maybe somewhere down the road, you know, this family could mm-hmm. run into some more deeper, you know, mm-hmm. situations that would, would, that would require removal. I want to
1: interject a point there and not come not come off this idea of let's understand foster care and dcfs i want to come back to that but i just want to interject this point which was an interesting personal learning in a course i took on on orphan and vulnerable children and when we for example would go to and see child-headed households in my own travels in africa our immediate assumption of that is oh my gosh that's not okay that you can't have a child-headed household. There's just something wrong with that word, child-headed household. That's not supposed. To, that's not how it's supposed to be. But in stepping back and not having that immediate judgment, the decision is often made in situations like that not to take the kids out of that house because the parents are just going for a few days to work in another area that's not easily accessible, and then they come back. But it's you know on the weekend or a few days later or something like that. But it's kind of to say there's an issue here. Yes, there's an issue here and maybe there's some neglect or some stuff going on because of a poverty-based circumstance or whatever that looks like. But we want to keep the kid the best thing for the kids isn't to split them up and put them in other situations, but to say we're going to keep this this family unit intact. That's really the best the best situation current situation for the kids. But you know, so that that can be what DCFS comes in and says, hey, we're going to keep we want to keep this family together. You know, that's why we're reluctant to split it apart, even though in our brains we might go, oh, we need to we need to pull the kids and get them into a, a better place. that We feel better about ourselves. Maybe Exactly
2: depending on where you are in the world, whether it's the US or Africa, um, there's different, you know, cultural things that are going on, right too, that we have to take into account. Right. So it's not a black and white and blank right thing, you know, every, every case is, is different, every family needs something different. Um, yeah. And so it's really coming, stepping in and, and for DCFS and their caseworkers to assess, mm-hmm. you know, what is the level of need or urgency, you know, if, obviously, if it's,
0: very parents that abuse is going you know, on, then we immediately mm-hmm.
2: remove the child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, child's, the child, their safety is always number one in mm-hmm. their best interest. But again, if it's something like neglect because, you know, parents, um, you know, have lost a job and the, food is pretty scarce, or again, they don't have the means to provide mm-hmm. um, adequate, mm-hmm. you know, a car seat or things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So we really kind of have to, and their job really is to assess each. Um, This is a great segue to start
1: talking about Care Portal, Sarah and Amy, (laughs) and what what a resource that can be to address some of those we're called neglect out of poverty material issues so that that family can stay together. So I want to get there in just a second, but describe for me now in the foster care system for our listeners that are looking to get educated on what is the foster care system kind of look like?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the foster care system is designed to protect um, children from situations of abuse or neglect. And so when a child, when it has, been assessed that a child needs to be removed from their home, mm-hmm. you know, the goal will always hopefully be we want to reunite them. Um, right. And, and, as, and as quickly... That's the goal of as, foster care yeah, is, to, is and, reunification. Yeah. So we don't want to reunite children um, into families when if they're not ready, but we also don't want kids to linger in the foster care right. system for years. Typically, uh, they try to look at a year, you know, a ch- when a child is removed, that um, oh. The parents have a year to do different things that the court um, will mandate. So maybe it's um, you know, there's drug abuse, then it's going to rehab. Maybe it could be parenting classes, finding stable housing, just different yeah. things yeah. that that are required of the parents to be able to get the kids back receive
1: their kids back. Anything else you want to share about the foster care? I'm assuming there just aren't enough foster families.
2: Yeah, there's never enough foster families, mm-hmm. um, and the majority of the kids in the system are often teenagers. Yeah, yeah, and, and often to I mean, kids most often it's not just one child that's being removed oh, and from it's the house. the splitting house. up and so, of siblings. Yeah, right. That's so the real
1: painful. You get
2: you know two, three, four, six kids you know who are in a family who are being removed, and it's hard to find families that, that will take in multiple children. Right. That have the ability to take in that many kids, and so that's where yeah. we get the splitting up of siblings which is a really difficult a difficult thing
1: so if there isn't there if there aren't enough foster families let's say what 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 happens i there are organizations like the christmas box house or different or kind of family style foster care programs. if there isn't
2: an open family kids will go to group homes Mm. so we could even say that that's kind of an you know an Americans' orphanage, orphanage. Mm-hmm. is a group home um but you know we hear stories all across the United States mm-hmm. um I hear stories all across the US of kids who are sleeping in DCFS office um because there is no immediate home for them to go to um we've I've heard of states um you know just renting out hotel rooms and having um, the kids in there yeah yeah that in there you know, overseen by somebody within DCFS. And that's just, that's just not right. Nope. No, no.
1: Well, you mentioned neglect out of poverty or, you know, w- ways to, to resource families so that they can stay together. Because obviously, like the picture you just painted, we don't want kids going into the foster system if they don't, if they don't have to. And Care Portal is a resource that
2: you brought to Utah. I think it's, is it in 60, um, 16 states? It's actually, I think, in over 25 now. Oh, it's in 20, over 25. Utah became the 20th state to implement it um, two years ago. And so I think it's up to 25 or maybe even a little bit higher. Uh, Care Portal (laughs) um, is
1: an an online platform where uh, departments of family, child and family services in different states, whatever they are particularly called, Uh, who are working with families at risk of uh, separation because of, let's say, material needs because of a car seat or a crib or a bed or whatever exactly that looks like can put that online. And that need goes out to churches. Right. Right. I'm explaining Mm this. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Go out to churches and, That church community can then say, hey, I have a bed to donate. Hey, I have a a, a car seat to donate and prevent that family. Or they want to reunify and they don't have a bed or they don't have a dresser or they don't have some particular type of material need to be able to receive their children back into their home.
2: Yeah, the caseworkers within DCFS serve a few different populations, they'll, they'll sur- they serve families who, again, are just struggling to stay together where it's not necessarily there's a need for removal, but we need to help strengthen this family. They serve Families that are fostering, families that are adopting, families that are reunifying where the kids went into foster care. The parents did what they needed to do to get their children back. And Mm. now they're coming back together, but they have needs to be able to make that happen. Um, And then the children who are aging out of foster care Mm -hmm. at 18 where kids that came Mm -hmm. into care parental rights were terminated but they weren't these children didn't end up being adopted by anybody and mm-hmm. so they age out at 18 yeah and obviously they have a tremendous amount <sighs> talk about a vulnerable of population yeah mm-hmm. so the statistics i mean that's a that could be a whole nother podcast okay. in itself the statistics of you know what happens to the kids who age out mm-hmm. um, you know the amount of homelessness incarceration trafficking that happens within that population of kids, but yeah, caseworkers are serving all these different kind of areas within child welfare. One of the things I love about Care Portal is it's not just about serving the family, but I really see it as it's a huge ministry and way to serve the caseworkers because we never have enough caseworkers, and they're really overworked. And underpaid. I think the. I remember hearing. I don't. I think it's a national statistic that the average like lifespan of a career in um, social as and a, case work. Yeah, is in this eight, space is eighteen months. Yeah, it, it pays very very little, and it's a lot of new graduates out of college who right. have social work degrees and they're excited to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the emotional the, burden and yes, just, the,
1: just is so overwhelming. Yeah,
2: and a lot of them will have. You know, thirty families on their caseloads. Yeah. They're trying to oversee, you know, <laughs> thirty families who all have different needs, and that's mm-hmm. just a very overwhelming yeah. thing for them. Yeah. I, I really, a heavy responsibility yeah. on so many levels. And so
1: we took on Care Portal um, a couple of years ago, or became a partner. That's been yes. a way to put it with Care Portal when Amy um, launched this, mm-hmm. and 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 it was so great to be asked to be kind of a founding church partner yeah. with Care Portal when it started. And um, I got to think about who to bring in to help run this ministry. And Sarah made the phone call to you to say, hey, there's this thing called Care Portal um, that we're doing. What do you think about, about getting involved in this? and And you said yes. Yeah. I was so
3: excited and so honored to be part of it.
1: And so it's been a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And um, so talk to me about your experience of, of being a care portal coordinator and um, just kind of the heart behind this ministry and what, and what Amy's talking about, how you get, we as a church community get to get to put an opportunity out there. Yeah. To serve a real tangible opportunity yeah. to serve vulnerable families, to serve caseworkers, to engage with vulnerable families in the community and use resources, whether that's time, whether that's money, whether that's stuff, Yeah, to just like step into the story of a vulnerable family.
3: It, it looks very simple on my end. Uh, we'll get an email from DCFS saying this is a need for you know the family. And we have a list of people who from Capital who've been interested in being part of this community with us, which is so special. And I send out an email, you know, telling that group what the needs are. And uh, different people respond when they're able. And I think one of the things that I kind of learned being a part of this in this way was when I thought of tangibility, kind of like what you just said. I think of like extreme, you know, let take a child home with you, right? Not, and we've talked about this before, not everybody's capable of doing that. I'm a flight attendant. I can't have, you know, I can't adopt somebody right now, right? One of the things that I have had to shift in my own thinking is what that looks like, what does serving look like? What does ministry look like? in this capacity and care portal is it like, this is a, a perfect example of how to serve, which is such a cornerstone for capital in my experience with capital,
1: right? And so there's a lot of ways. Um, I- and let me just say too, like when when you get a, a, a quote, a family in need is so it's such an interesting range it's a it's a dad who's getting reunifying with his kids and his you know wife just passed away and he needs five beds right away. It's a I mean, even one time it was it was a young teenage mom who had to who had to you know, bury her child, and needed help with funeral expenses. It's it's you know car seats. It's it's a it's a single dad. It's a it's a mom that's just transitioning out of rehab and is ready. You know, to get her her children back. It's it's such an, a range of spaces that people are at.
2: You know, we get these needs that come in um, very tangible needs. Uh, the number one need is always a bed. In um, we think, okay, yeah, a kid sleeping on the floor, we'll get him a bed, they'll be more comfortable, but how does it really change their life? Um, And I just—I heard this great story from a professor, a college professor, and she was describing a student of hers who grew up in a very difficult situation, barely made it through school, barely made it into college, and then she got into college and she just took off and started, you know, doing well and just soaring. And this professor had a conversation with her, you know, like, what has made the difference? And she goes, well, in college, I have a bed to sleep on. So she was, she'd moved into the dorms and had a bed for the first time. And that was the difference. And you think about that, here's this girl who's who's excelling in college, she's changing generations. Basically, you know, in we talk about breaking that family cycle of poverty and lack of education and resources, and things like that. Here, a bed literally changing the lives of generations to come. Another great story revolves around um, a kitchen table um, delivering. I was on a delivery of a table going to a family, and um, there was a couple kids there. And as we were bringing the table in, the sp- I don't know, maybe six- or seven-year-old girl was just absolutely beside herself. I mean, you thought that we were bringing her the latest, greatest toy. Mm-hmm. She was so excited for this table. She said, we get to sit as a family and eat dinner together. I can sit at this table and do my homework. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just things we take for granted. You know, beds and tables, we just we don't think how they literally can (laughs) change lives. And it sounds kind of, it kind of sounds silly, but it's, it's it's so true. We've had a dad with two twin
3: boys Mm -hmm. um, and his, the mother Mm -hmm. was still in rehab. Mm -hmm. And so two twins, I Mm -hmm. mean, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: just born, right. Weren't those, they were babies. I think they were were a year old when he got them back. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've had communication with him on and off. We've, mm-hmm. you know, we've tried to support him in numerous ways and mm-hmm. that's been really cool.
1: Because
3: mm-hmm. um, relationship
1: development is also it. a cornerstone of this care portal. The idea behind this care portal ministry thats it—is yeah. that it's not just, here's the car seat. Right. It's, hey, I'm looking you in the eyes right. and this is my name. Tell me your name. Yeah. Tell me your story. I care. How do we develop a, a relationship right. that both parties are blessed by?
2: We have had instances where it has led to actual kind of mentoring relationships with the family that they've made a delivery to. And that's what so many of these families are lacking, is they're lacking community support um, in relationships. And so we've just had some amazing stories that have come around that of, of people who have walked in and stepped into people's lives to support them. We had one um, lady who made a delivery, and the social worker ended up calling her and saying, "Hey, would you be willing to go through a background check to oversee the visitations that this woman has with her children?" And, and you know, this lady was like, "Absolutely!" And so, there's just so many different ways to serve these families. And then, when they have needs down the line, instead of burdening the foster care system, mm-hmm. um, they they can come to us. So I just I'm doing a delivery later today of a girl that. I made a delivery to a year and a half ago and I've just kind of stayed in touch and I just check in with her. I, I send her an email. How's it going? A lot of times people just need a little bit of encouragement of you can do this. I know it's hard. It, even having that one person to be able to look you in the eye and say, you're doing a good job. I know you're working hard. How can how can I continue to help and, and serve you? Um, is huge. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge part of that. And that's, I think, again,
3: I think that's such a shift in thinking when it comes to tangibility or uh, serving or loving people well. Again, we've talked about this before, Tara, but of all the theology that I feel is so straightforward and that I feel so confident in, in terms of theology, this is it. You know, loving orphans, loving widows. And I think that's single parents. And I think that can both be men and women. I've worked with multiple fathers which is just i think such a cool thing because i'm constantly being challenged in what my stereotype of what this looks like out there and i just if of all the things to put our love towards i feel so strongly that it's about this community
1: and furthermore get describe that more for me like this has impact you i feel for you this was an unexpected way you have encountered the heart and the face of Jesus. Absolutely. And there is a biblical mandate for this again and again and again in the Bible how the church was originally structured to have in place caring for the orphans and the widows. Those two terms are often used most often really used together, right? And Amy you can I know you're probably chopping at the bit to speak to that. we we'll, go through, right. I'm like, yeah, give me the Bible on that. Give me some James, you know. But um but, but when you say that, this is a place, this is an unexpected space that I can't foster a child, I can't, but yet here I am serving vulnerable children and families, and it's here that I'm experiencing and having an encounter with the heart of God for this world.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much depth to go into about that and around that, definitely, mm-hmm. Um, I actually came into care portal about August of 2019. So right before COVID happened. And that has been such a gift for me because COVID has affected people in such different ways um, on such different spectrums. You guys have touched on how that has looked and affected the foster system um, and this vulnerable population that we're talking about. It has grounded me in gratitude. I am constantly overwhelmed by how much I have. It just feels so simple to me in my experience. It's that. It's walking away from different experiences with different people and, and being like, I have the comfiest bed, you know? And I didn't know that 10 minutes ago. I wouldn't have thought about that 10 minutes ago. It's, it's children sleeping on the floors. It's, it's kids not having clothes that fit, um, shoes with holes in them. One parent who's working multiple jobs and they've got multiple kids and they just need sometimes a hug. You know, I get hugs all the time. And I think for me, the simplicity of what this has done for me, the way God has met me personally in this has just been basics, like coming back to basics of gratitude and recognizing how full I am. And that's been such a gift, especially during COVID. And I think on the flip side, being able to work with this community in Capitol has just been joy. Joy. (laughs) <laughs> they, they always f- come through. There's such good communication. They're so happy to be able to meet this community in whatever way they're capable of. Again, in my experience, primarily during a pandemic. Um, and it has just been such a blessing for me. And it has kept me so personally grounded um, throughout this
1: time is there a particular story that comes to mind of of whether it's an engagement with a person at capital or engagement with a person a vulnerable person
3: that you're serving or both yeah absolutely i mean both for sure we had a huge um request come in and i was not going to be in town i'm a flight attendant so i had you know the the It's logistics of
1: getting the items, all the items, and then getting all the items to the family as quickly as possible. Right, because these are like like three day turnarounds. Right, they're supposed
3: to be within the seventy two period. Yeah, um, because of what you guys have been talking about. Right, right? this is immediate need here. Immediate need. Right, and I was like, Lord. I don't know what to do here, but I'm. We're going to take this request Mm. if I felt led towards it. Yeah, I'm not sure why, quite frankly, because I was a little scared um, and intimidated by the list. Mm -hmm. Um, And the list of items that this family needed. The list of items that this family needed. They needed beds. I don't have a truck.
1: You (laughs) know, things like that. Right. Right. and I wasn't going to be here. There was multiple right, problems right. in this like doesn't seem right. to make sense. Right, And Absolutely. that's where God specializes, <laughs> yes. This sounds like a bad idea. Let
2: me <laughs> yes, enter into yes. it. <laughs>
1: that's right,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> um, so many callings start that way. That's Lord, right. I know I can't do this, so it's going to have to be you. That's right, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And we
3: had probably, I want to say, five to seven different people come together.
1: Really?
3: And complete this request we mm-hmm. had two or three different people with different trucks bringing in different things dressers and beds and frames and i think there was a washer and dryer in it <laughs> i mean oh. again i'm not 100 percent sure what i was thinking when i picked this up except that the spirit was real loud
1: you know what I <laughs> mean? real real, loud.
3: real, real oh, loud can't quiet that down and i was like okay yeah um and then we had other people dropping off smaller things you know um and it was just this constant emailing back and forth with these lovely humans, just about like, oh yeah, no problem. I can do it this day. Everybody's schedules worked. We got it. It was one of the fastest turnarounds I've ever had. And it was mm. one of the largest requests I've ever mm. picked up. And um it you know, I just I still that was probably um within the first year that I was doing Care Portal. Yeah. And I still remember it distinctly. I still remember exactly who the people were, yeah. who worked so hard, yeah. um, the people who delivered those big items, bless them. Yeah. For me, it's it's that side of it too that I yeah. get to see that's been really special because I haven't always personally had a great relationship with um, people in churches. Mm. And for me- so It's been kind of a healing. It's been so healing. That's it. Mm. It really is. Mm. And so- I
1: love when God does something completely unexpected. (laughs) Like, oh, but I was going to get this, which is great, but you also gave me that. Yes. It's just, I don't know. He just makes music. Yeah. Right? Out of all kinds of experiences woven together.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we've worked on, you know, with other, on the flip side, we had a mother email us Um, this really lovely email about items we had and I sent it to the people who had given those requests because I was just like for somebody to take the time I think in a scenario like that when they're so overwhelmed with not having beds and Mm -hmm. food and working jobs to but to
1: take to take the time to email and say this is what this meant to me
3: the time to say thank you was just such a gift yeah and um so appreciated and so sweet yeah. you know um Mm. it's just it's just really lovely to be able to see it from both sides of it and I think you know the biggest things that I have recognized in it has just been you know again the simplicity of gratitude and Mm. also that you know we're all in different seasons at different times and God is a a constant um, God of reconciliation and reconstruction. And I think for me, you know, no matter if you're giving or receiving, we're all kind of in it, you know, and we're all kind of going through seasons and Mm. um, it's humbling and it's necessary for me, you know?
1: Mm. You mentioned, um, if there's like a, you know, theology, something that I just, you know, that is just a, you're, you know, bowling all the pins down in, in, in it, it's, it's, it's this, right. And, and it is, the Bible is bold about serving this particular, the church, the church, right. Serving organizationally, structurally, having its eye and its resources on serving this population. And you've probably talked to lots yeah. and lots of people about.
2: Yeah. I mean, all throughout scripture, it's, yeah. it's talked about, um, it's a mandate. Oh, right. <laughs> right. James one twenty seven, 27. Yes, you know, yes. I always think of, of all things that God could have used to compare true religion to, you know, why, why did he choose caring for orphans and widows? You know, so it's a mandate, but it also beyond that, it's just it's the heart of God. I mean, all throughout yeah. Scripture, in different places, we hear God, um, you know, called the God, you know, you are father God of, father the father, of the father, Spirit. father to the fatherless, yeah. you set the lonely in families. Um, it's just all throughout Scripture, it's very apparent. And so, you know, I even I even just think like, okay, so <laughs> you know, God shows us in many ways, who he is, and this is one of his titles, you know, of a father to the fatherless. And then we are called to be like Christ. So, if you do the math, <laughs> if that is math, then we are called um, to care. We are called to be his hands and feet um, on this earth, Yeah. to so care for kids. We, we make we, we make a
1: bold, things bold in the Bible that aren't bold, but don't bold the things that are. You know, there's probably a much better way to say that. But there's, there's, it's when you do get into it and look at it, man, it's, it is a mandate. Yeah.
2: And, you know. it, and it really was um, a hallmark of the early church of, um, right. you know, in ancient Rome, one of the things that would happen is when a baby would be born that the family didn't want, whether it was the wrong gender or it was born with a disability, they w- would do this um, practice of taking the kids outside the city gates, That it was called exposing, put the kids there and, and basically leave them to die. And it was Christian's who were the ones who were coming in, picking up these kids and caring for them. Kind of, you talk about an early, very early primitive structure of foster care. It was widows that the government in that, of that time would actually pay to care for orphans. And it was kind of a very primitive foster care system. But Christians were always at the forefront of caring for kids. Somewhere along the way we relinquish a lot of that over to the government. Um, I think there is absolutely a place for the government in this. Um, but you know, a lot of times I hear people rip on on the system, and it's a very broken system. But they complain about it, and just so many different things. And I always just say, "You know what? It wasn't the government's job in the first place to care for kids. It was our job, mm-hmm. And we relinquished that to them. And so and they're just, and we wonder why it's not working out so well. Mm-hmm. They're doing the best that they can.
1: I want to just share a, a quick story as we as we come to the end here, but just speaking about those those folks in the foster care system, and it it wasn't that long ago now that I got a phone call from one of them who is, leaving her, her job at UFC, uh, Utah foster care. And she said, I have to call you because I can't, I can't leave my job without helping this woman. I just, I'm transitioning out, but there's just this woman and she's a grandma. And that's a big trend also, right? Are the grand family organizations, because unfortunately due to things like the opioid crisis, so many parents are unable to care for their children and grandparents are coming in and resources are being developed to try to support these grandparents that weren't planning to raise young children. There's just, just this grandma and there's this grandmother in Heber who uh, had to, or chose to, should not have to, but chose to is the point, adopt all seven of her grandchildren. And she lives in a double-wide trailer in, in Heber and the how humble it felt to hear this woman on the phone say, one of the kids, she's figured out how to get most of the kids in there, but one of the kids is, is sleeping on on the floor. Can can we figure out a way to help him? And to be able to say, yes, and you get that feeling, Sarah, and you get that feeling, Amy, to be able to say, we can help somehow. And have since been able to, um, a, a gal from our Park City community went and, and actually creatively did this kind of pipe and drape structure to be able to have a specific designated area for this Young boy to to sleep, and by the time this airs, we will have actually had a team of, of fifteen folks from uh, Capital who have gone in and done a, a mini makeover in her home and repair holes and 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 do some painting and some organizing to be able to create a better space for this family, this vulnerable family, to to live in. But this woman is walking out that theology of investing sacrificially, of taking in children that need a place to go and loving them and helping them through the trauma that they have been through. And she is a widow. And she picked them up (laughs) and brought them into her home and is caring for them. And she's just been such an example to our community of that kind of sacrificial love and mothering the motherless and fathering the fatherless yeah it is it's incredible i'm sure i know you have lots and lots of stories of that well um thank you both for sharing your hearts and your stories and your knowledge and your wisdom
0: Thank you for listening. You know, after I pushed the red button on this device to stop recording, Amy shared another stat that just kind of made my jaw drop a bit. So you heard her say in the interview that roughly 400,000 kids in the U.S. are in the foster system at any given time. But she also shared with us that roughly 4 million kids Mm. are on the brink of being in the foster care system at any given time. It's just
1: such a... To let that sink in for a second and realize that likely in mm-hmm. our daily life right. in 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 the grocery store and a neighbor in someone class. in right someone in our kids class somewhere we are likely going to encounter a vulnerable family right. that's on the brink of right. of, of, of some tough stuff or obviously right. experiencing some tough stuff. So we have that opportunity to not always be looking down at our own world and our phones and all that, but looking up, mm-hmm. making some eye contact, right. letting God speak into our lives to say, hey, notice this over here. Observe this neighbor. We may have the opportunity to intercede with a, a vulnerable child, a vulnerable ad- adult, a vulnerable." family that might need some community reinforcement. So we're going to have some links to, to resources that can help us in that area, um, including Care Portal. Shout out to Care Portal. If you're out there, you can just shoot an email to outreach at com and say, I want to be added to the Care Portal email list. If you want to learn about Care Portal and ways that you can donate your, your stuff to make a real impact, um, in the lives of, of some of those, those vulnerable families. And that'll be in our show notes and at
0: CapitalStories.com. Yep. Totally. And we will see you again in a couple weeks. Like we mentioned earlier, this is a two part series. So later this month, we'll be with Amy again, as she'll share some more, um, about her experiences that God used in her life personally to lead her to this work in the first place. It's pretty powerful and we don't want you to miss it. So we will see you next time.